Hello everyone, welcome to the Divine Flow Pod. We are at episode 11 and today we have another super special guest with us. She is an amazing holistic health coach, mom of six, specializing in prenatal health. And today we are going to have amazing conversations. So it's going to be deeply educational and fun. So let's invite our guest for today, Alika Kehelani. Hi, Alika. Hi. How Thank are you? you so much for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. How are you today? I have so many things to ask you, so I hope you're ready. I am. Thank you. I am very excited to be here and excited to just share everything that we're going to go over today. Perfect. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners about your journey? Uh, My journey started... When I was 16, or I guess you could say 15, is actually when I became pregnant for the first time. Um, And I had no idea, like, about tracking my cycle. I had recently actually just within the year gotten my period, my first period ever, and then became pregnant at 15 and... It was actually my mom who noticed, like, that I hadn't had my period in a month or two. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was a big shock. Um, Never understanding that, like, when I could get pregnant, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, how it wasn't any time of my cycle. And just not knowing anything really, like, how to protect myself um, with having sex. Like, there was no guidance there, you know. Yeah. Oh, um, and then when I was 16, I had my first baby mm-hmm. in March of 2009. Oh. A girl, yeah, who's now almost 15, which is crazy. <laughs> um, and that her pregnancy was pretty basic, like what I think majority of moms are experiencing. Um, I followed everything that my OB had mentioned to me or suggested and just went with every single thing that they did. So I really had, I could have had say, but I didn't use my power to say what I wanted. I didn't even know what I wanted at all. And my mom was like there to guide me to, to follow what my doctor was saying, you know? Um, and then her birth, I was induced. It was kind of annoying during pregnancy that my due date kept getting changed um, based on ultrasounds that they were doing and uh, different ways that they measure, like how far they think you're long and how they can just keep changing your due date, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was originally March uh, 30th, I believe, was my, no, March 31st was my first due date. And it ended up getting put back till the 20th, I think, was the final one they gave me, March 20th. So they did let me go past my due date. Um, But I ended up being induced on March 30th. That was in the morning, and she was born just after midnight on March 31st, which was my original due date, which is crazy. Like, 
It's just insane how they think the technology knows or that they know their mind knows and that you can just tell by these measurements that man has made up, you know? So that was how that pregnancy went in my, uh, the birth and labor. It was pretty, uh, pretty rough. Mm -hmm. And just with being induced, you are hooked up to fake oxytocin, Pitocin, and that just is messing up everything. Like, there's no more physiological birth process happening once you do that. And so contractions, um, all your hormones are not working together anymore for your contractions and pain management that would naturally be happening. And so it was really, really intense. I ended up getting an epidural and then, like, many hours in this was almost the next day yeah I was like about midnight because soon after I got the epidural and everything I ended up having her like my body was finally able to just take a breath you know and relax without all the pain and me tensing and all of that from from the uh, pitocin and yeah there was like no um like uh I did take a birth class that was through the hospital but nothing that I learned there was like prepared me for what was to come. And I don't really think that you can, if it's your first birth, you can fully be like prepared, you know, cause you just don't know how your body is going to be. You don't know until you're there and in it, but the uh, birth class was very undeveloped, mm-hmm. <laughs> underdeveloped for preparing moms, I feel. So I had no idea like what was going on and any of that and not really given options for like techniques. It was like pain management was always the option. Like, do you want this now? Do you want that? And I did say no for a while. So I guess I did somewhat use my voice back then. And cause I really did not want, I didn't want to be induced either, but I did go with that. And then I was like, okay, I can do it. I can be induced, but not do the pain management. And then that didn't happen either. I ended up getting it. And then soon after had my daughter, which was great. And she was born and so beautiful and perfect and lovely. And then, and also very scary. I felt very scared, Mm. to be honest. Um, Having this human now that was mine, my responsibility and all of that. And she ended up going to the nursery, as most babies do in the hospital. And she was there overnight, and then just, like, everything standardized after her birth was what happened. The erythromycin and the eyes, the happy, um, thank God she was a she, because back then I had no idea about circumcision, and I probably would have went along with that. And that's, like, something I just feel very grateful for, that I didn't have boys until I was awake to what circumcision actually is but they did have their vaccines and stuff and eye cream taken away from me Uh, and then so that was yeah basically yeah that's what a lot of moms are dealing with when they're going to the hospital and having babies like and this was 14 almost 15 years ago and it's still happening all over the place Like, the cord is being clamped as soon as birth and everything. So, yeah, 
that was how my first birth went, which is very different from how my last birth went. But in between them, I had four more births. Um, and my second one was pretty similar to my first. Um, I was induced also with her. I also had an epidural as well with my second daughter. Um, she had the same standard things. I tried not to do the epidural, epidural too until I couldn't anymore or how I felt I couldn't anymore. And then she was born soon after the epidural, just like my first daughter. So their births were pretty similar. She went to the nursery after as well, after birth, and had the same standardized things. And then my third birth um, was in 2014, and it was my first son. Um, and he, I was starting, after my first birth, I started, like, becoming more into the holistic stuff. Uh, just wanting to do things more naturally, and then that just amped up more after my second birth. So when I went into that, like, realm, I guess you can say, of, like, holistic things, I found out more about, like, um, home birth and more natural birth things, and that's when I really became fascinated with it and, like, really wanting to learn as much as I could learn. Um, I really wanted to do a home birth with my third birth, but I didn't. Uh because I let fear of money and like, how could I pay for this? And like other people like worried about it. I let all of that get to me and I just threw home birth out the window. And then after his birth though, I was like, I don't care what next time, like I'm not birthing in the hospital again. But with his, I actually did stick to um, not being induced. I was not allowing them to induce me. Um, I stuck to just one ultrasound, I believe, in that pregnancy, um, which was the 20-week, like, the routine 20-week anatomy scan. Because my other pregnancies, they like to do a lot of ultrasounds and a lot of that stuff. So I just stuck to one with that, um, with my third birth. And then what else? Uh, I started to, like, not do all the testing that my OB wanted because all three of my pregnancies in the hospital and birth, I had the same OB. So I started speaking up for more what I felt was the best for myself and my pregnancy. And I, like, let her know um, that I wasn't going to be participating in this anymore. And she was kind of kind of baffled by that, really. And uh, not angry, but she was like, she didn't like it. She didn't like that I was not going along with all of her recommendations again. So I declined some things, like... Uh, the gestational diabetes, the nasty, awful glucola drink that they have you have, which is full of toxic um, ingredients. I declined that. Um, and I told her I wasn't being induced. Um, and that they have, I know every hospital is a little bit different. They do have different rules, like for one-year water breaks to when you can give birth. Sometimes they'll do like, 24 hours, sometimes 12, sometimes 10. Well, they gave me 10 hours from when my water started leaking to having the baby. 
Wait, um, that's crazy. Well, like, yeah, there are like time limits to giving birth. Like, how can one even decide that? That's ridiculous. Ex- exactly, and that's why like C-section rates are so high because like that's just stressful. You go into a hospital where you're supposed to be supported or you want to be supported, and you're on a clock. Like that doesn't help anything. That just goes straight to your mind and then brings stress, and that's stopping labor. From progressing so yeah they gave me I went in about midnight um for his birth and they gave me till 10 30 the next morning to give birth to him and I had him right around that time like it was right down to just the last little bit of time that they were going to allow me but yeah because if I wasn't progressing and didn't have him then, they wanted to give me a Pitocin again to speed things up, to give, to have birth. So I did not, I was not going for that at all. Like I would have definitely declined, but thankfully he was born before that. Um, this time when he was born, I did not let him out of the room at all. He had no eye cream. He had no vaccines at all. Um, they do like, the heart tests for the babies and like the hearing tests for the babies. I had them, I requested for them to come into the room and do all of that. So I could see everything that was happening. So he never left our site in the hospital at all, which was really great. And my husband was a really good advocate for that as well, because they had tried to take him out of the room one time. I'm not sure what I might've been in the bathroom or doing a shower, but yeah, they tried to take him out. I can't remember what I was doing. I was occupied with something. And they also tried to take my placenta out this time, which I kept, I told them I was going to keep it. And I, so they tried to take that out as well right after birth. And it was surprisingly because my OB noticed that they were doing that. And she's like, she came in and apologized actually to us for doing that. Cause she know that she knew that I didn't want that to happen. So that was kind of like a, felt like a change in heart for her. Like she compared to some things during pregnancy where she was very not okay with the choices I was making. She actually was okay with this and apologized that somebody tried to go against my wishes for that. So that was me. Um, and yeah, so, and then he was my last hospital birth. And... Also, my first unmedicated birth, which was interesting because I'm like, after I had him, I was like, oh, my gosh, that was so hard. (laughs) I was like, I'm never doing this again. And, of course, obviously, I did three more times. But and every time I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, why? It's it hurts. (laughs) But it's like a pain, like, you know, like the reward, you know, like the ending is going to be the most amazing thing ever though. Once you hold your baby in your hands, like all of that pain goes away. It's, it's, and I don't even have the words. It's magical. It's amazing. Um, so then my fourth birth, um, was my first home birth in 2016 and my second son. And he, I went, uh, I was in bed and I went, 
I think I went to go turn over in bed. Yeah, I didn't even stand up yet. I went to turn over in bed and I just felt this pop and I heard the pop too. And I'm like, what was that? That was so weird. So I got up to go to the bathroom and my waters had broke, I guess, but didn't come trickling out until I stood up vertically. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what that was. And I was so excited. I'm like, I am getting to have this baby at home. Like, this is just going to be amazing. And I, my excitement was just through the roof. Like, I didn't want to wake anybody up because it was the middle of the night. It was like two o'clock, I believe, to something. And I'm like, I don't want to wake anybody up. I'm just really excited right now. Like, my baby is coming. I am doing this on my terms. Like, I am just thrilled right now. So I'm just waiting for anything, like, if it was going to happen now or maybe I should go back to back to bed. But there was no going back to bed. I was just through the roof excited that my baby was coming so soon. And so, thankfully, I didn't go to bed or try to because mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to um, labor um, about uh, 30 to 60 minutes. I can't even remember exactly right now. I know I have, like, all my birth stories written down on my Instagram, which actually, like, have the timestamps because otherwise, if I don't write that down, I'm not remembering <laughs> on my own right now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, with <laughs> um, so then... He, our contraction started picking up and things started progressing and it was going really well. I decided to go um, in and out of the shower a little bit just because I wanted to try different positions. Like this was the first time that I was actually able to freely move around and like be how I wanted to be. Because when you're in the hospital, majority of the time you're hooked up to an IV which isn't fun obviously to be um connected to and dragging around with you if you're like trying to walk or squat or do things like that so I was like completely free in and out of the shower um I really really love my birth ball um like a big yoga ball um when I'm laboring that's like one of my favorite things is to just be on that and leaning kneeling down and leaning over it and I can like go into like a meditative state like that which is great and very helpful and it time really does pass by quickly like that and then I would get up and do the shower or walk around in my house and my kids were still sleeping my husband was still sleeping throughout all of this so it's just me my baby Jesus like you know it was just so calm so peaceful and things were amping up so it's getting a little intense but still I'm like I have this like this is going perfectly and he um he was yeah I think that his birth started about two he was born just after six o'clock and excuse me (coughs) and it was just perfect like I didn't have to push for hours I wasn't on my back pushing I was kneeling on the ground and he came out with two pushes the second one kind of wasn't really a push because he was already out the first time so he just really slid out and I always say this like babies are the most slippery things when they're first born like 
way slipperier, slipperier, <laughs> much more slipperier than you could think. Because <laughs> I was shocked. So I'm like, good thing I was very close to the ground because he just slipped right out. And yeah, and then we found out because I didn't have any um, ultrasounds or anything during that pregnancy. And we found out that he was a boy. And by that time, my husband and one of my sons was in the room. So then the rest of my, my two daughters woke up and shortly after that. And they had a little brother now, another little brother. And that was super special to have them wake up and be there and just all of us already be at home. Like nothing beats that to just already be in your home with your family and not in like some sterile place that feels nothing like home. I really love that. That's like one of my favorite things about having babies at home is it's your space and it's what you created and it's your energy and that's what your baby meets first as soon as they're here. And was it around this time that you had like enrolled to be a health coach or like um, it was after this birth? Um, it was after my next birth, which was very similar to this birth too. Um, yeah, both my fifth and my sixth births were kind of similar to my first um, home birth just because I kind of knew, like, what my body does naturally now. You know, like, not just naturally in a hospital where you're being watched, you're being timed, but naturally in my own space where everything is, like, lining up how it's supposed to, is how it feels. Like, your, hor your hormones are not... Um, being displaced at all um it's just flowing and so after my fifth birth my third daughter um that was in 2019 um yeah 2019 um she was uh i she was born in february and i signed up for hmi in april so she was just a couple months old once I signed up for HMI. And I had already kind of had, like, um, understood, like, her rhythm and, like, how she would sleep and stuff. So I knew when I could be able to study. So I would wake up early. Like, I would feed her about, like, 4 o'clock in the morning. She'd go back to sleep for a while, and I would start my HMI studies. And that was, like, my study time that I dedicated and... It really worked out well for that. As she got a little bit older, like, um, how old about? Maybe, like, when she started eating solids. So she was about six, seven months old. I would go to the library sometimes in the evening um, after my husband got off work, and I would go study at the library for a little bit just to have different space um, and more time, like, to myself. Like, that was something that I really took to be for me like that's why I joined HMI originally was to be was something to do for myself because years ago I found Liana in 2012 on Raw Organic Vegan so I um have been following her when she released HMI I wanted to join and just like my uh my first time I ever wanted a home birth I decided not to out of fear and money, and I did the same thing with HMI. I didn't feel like 
basically I didn't feel I was worth it to spend that money, that much money on myself at that point in time. So I didn't sign up until years later and that was in 2019. And then I really gave it my all. I, I don't even know how I did it all. I just did it and it worked out well. Like I loved everything I was reading, which makes it so much easier when Liana's the best teacher ever and you can understand what she's teaching and it's fun to understand. <laughs> so yeah, I signed up in 2019 and then I think I graduated at the end of 2019 is when I turned in my finals or the beginning of the next year. And then, you know, after all this education, were there a lot of changes for your sixth pregnancy? Like you would have incorporated a lot of things or, you know? Yes, so many, so many changes. And I think the best one was having a lot of energy. Because when you have a lot of energy, you just feel like you can do all the things that you need to do, you know, like your body isn't hurting. It's not aching. You don't just want to sit on the couch. You want to be up. You want to work out during pregnancy. You want to be with your other kids and spend so much time with them before the new baby comes. Um, and there's just like a lot to be done before you have a baby. And I feel so many moms are not feeling that high energy and because I know I wasn't in my other pregnancies, I've always loved to be pregnant. I don't even when I didn't feel good, like I always had a lot of back pain, lower back sciatica pain. Um, I was tired a lot. Uh, I'm just not really feeling like not feeling like myself and just also not feeling like I could enjoy pregnancy how I wanted to enjoy pregnancy because it's such a weird feeling to really like love that you're pregnant but not feeling not like having the energy and <coughs> excuse me and like the headspace to really do what you would like to be doing to enjoy it and that really changed for me um with my sixth pregnancy because I had already been a vegetarian for a while um I believe it was from my third pregnancy. I'd already been a vegetarian. So I was just still consuming dairy and a lot of dairy, actually. And I had, be of course, been following Leanna for a while. Um, but uh, I just wasn't ready, I guess, to give that up yet. Um, and I see why, because it what it's connected to and there was a lot of stuff that I didn't know about myself about my childhood that was connected to that want for dairy mm -hmm. and so I was able to apply everything I learned in HMI to my sixth pregnancy um, I had insane amount of energy throughout my pregnancy I had really clear crystal clear mental clarity like my mind it's like it really felt like a fortress like how it should all the time you know <laughs> but it was like nothing was like deterring me or anything off of knowing what I needed to do for my pregnancy and like I wasn't feeling 
tired. I wasn't, I didn't have back pain at all, except for one time, which I feel is a super kind of little tidbit story that I'd like to share. Um, I had back pain come up one time in my sixth pregnancy and it was pretty intense and it was something that I was used to from my other pregnancies. Um, and that was always like one of the first signs that I would always have that I knew I was pregnant was this lower back pain that would just progress throughout pregnancy. And it popped up in my sixth pregnancy and I'm like, okay, like what, what is going on here? What is this showing me? Mm -hmm. Because I haven't had this at all. And I, it was father wound stuff for me. Um, but I ended up doing Leanna's narcissism clearing the first one which is free and amazing and I love it so much because I go back to it a lot and I did that clearing twice mm -hmm. and I did her father wound um the breath work in session two I did that consistently for a few days um really focusing on this pain and there was stuff coming up about not feeling safe, mm -hmm. uh, not feeling secure. And it was so vocalized in this one spot. I'm like, oh my gosh. But I did, like I just said, the narc one clearing, the father wound breathing, and that pain was gone within two days, I believe it was. Wow. And I'm like, yes. And it never came back throughout my pregnancy again. And when was your sixth or beautiful baby born like what year uh 20 oh my gosh 2022 oh, no wow. 2021 2021 <laughs> wow oh my gosh <laughs> that's amazing. yeah because he'll be three this year wow so beautiful okay so your story going from feeling powerless like you have no voice to birthing your babies at home confidently by yourself what a journey and transition wow so yeah. there's a lot here and i'll start asking questions to unpack it like step by step okay because um and for okay. our, our audience i would just like give context so alika is in usa right and she's a mom of six i am in india and i am not a mother yet not married nothing like that at all so this interaction like you could just be like there are a lot of different aspects that would come up in the conversations so i'm just sharing this for context because you know different places what age you are where on your path you are so no matter if you're a single woman if you want kids or you know you don't see motherhood as a path for you, whatever it is, I feel this would really help you to just embrace the sacredness of birth as I feel uh, Alika does so beautifully in all her work she shares. So let's get started and let's get started with teenhood because I feel that's the age where, you know, you have puberty coming up and all these changes and the time where one needs to be empowered. But what we mostly get is disempowerment and that carries on through pregnancy and everything. So like you shared in your personal story, can you please tell our audience like, uh, <laughs> 
how how does their uh, menstrual cycle work like uh, i think the basic most overrated thing that we are told and i think women are scared about it's like oh my god what if i get pregnant which actually happened to you but which was a beautiful blessing but as a teenager it's just like you know if something happens my parents would kill me you know it's just like that kind of fear and dread or i would be shamed for it so can you just like share how you went through that process and if you were talking to like children of uh, other children like maybe teenage friends of your daughter eldest daughter or you know what would you tell them about the starting of their menstrual cycle like what are the important things to know okay yeah um the important things to know um yes uh well like you said you can't get pregnant at any time of your cycle which is good to know there's only like uh it's a sevenish day window um so like sperm can only last for 5 days and then but you can get pregnant like only during 2 days of your cycle but that gives like a five or the oh gosh i just said that wrong no worries there's 2 days where <laughs> yeah. There's two days where you're like most fertile. Okay. So you can't just get pregnant on those two days. But those are the days where you're most fertile where the egg is ready, you know? Mhm. But the sperm like can be in you already and be lasting for 5 days. So if it's there still on the day one of those days that you're most fertile, then yes, you can. So there's generally like a week during your cycle that you could get pregnant. um there are some really great ways and i my myself um i'm still understanding um uh the family yeah family awareness method um and tracking your cervical fluid mm-hmm. um and knowing when it's going to be most fertile um but that also goes with tracking your temperature and tracking um the position of your uterus so those three things work hand in hand and they give you a really good clue on how to do that um because with having pregnancies myself every couple years i've only had like one to three cycles in between my pregnancies and then i was pregnant again because i still didn't understand this stuff i wasn't paying attention to it and i was just yeah not paying attention to it and trying to learn it at all so now that i'm like i know i'm not having any more babies i'm like now is the time like i can really learn this and because after birth um my periods usually are not coming back for at least like 17 months is usually my guideline after birth i don't have a period for like 17 19 months after and then i would get a couple or one sometimes and then i would be pregnant again so yeah it's good to know that it's not happening mm-hmm. all the time um it's about a week um um okay and then yeah i'll just like pause for a second over here because um yeah so <laughs> because this is a lot to understand at first right So um can you first yeah. uh, speak about uh 
ओके सो दिस इज योर स्टैंडर्ड टीनेजर दीज डेज लिविंग ऑफ ऑन अ डाइट ऑफ यू नो प्रोसेस जंक फूड्स एंड लॉट ऑफ यू नो ब्यूटी प्रोडक्ट्स डिओड्रेंट्स और वॉट एवर इट इज लॉट ऑफ जेनो एस्ट्रोजेंस एंड ऑलरेडी अ लैक ऑफ हॉर्मोनल इम्बैलेंस एंड आई थिंक दीज डेज दी एज एज वेयर यू नो द ऑनसेट ऑफ मैंस्ट्रेशन हैज द एज फॉर दैर हैज ड्रामेटिकली रिड्यूस्ड स्पेशली इन गर्ल्स सो नाउ इट्स लाइक एट नाइन इंस्टेड ऑफ ट्वेल्व और फोर्टीन राइट सो सो दीज आर आवर लाइक द चिल्ड्रेन द टीन एजर्स वी आर टॉकिंग अबाउट राइट नाउ एंड दे हैव द ऑनसेट ऑफ देयर पीरियड्स एंड मोस्टली द प्रोग्रामिंग दे आर गेटिंग फ्रॉम देयर आई थिंक मदर्स एंड द सोसाइटी इज you are a woman now from a girl and this changes things you can't wear the things you did before you can't play the sports you did before and there are a lot of i think societal changes that happen with it right like the messaging they get from the world around so this there is uh-huh. this teenage girl who comes to you and she is like okay alka help me what do i do they say okay this is this tampon brand on like this thing do i get a tampon do i get a sanitary pad i think tampons are a usa thing asia mostly has sanitary pads what do i get what do i put into my body what's happening okay yeah so because my daughter just went through this recently mm-hmm. um that helps a lot um and it's just letting these teens know that um there is like you said there's already so many toxic things being put into their bodies through food and stuff like that and to know that their cycles um may not be regular how you said because of these things um so the first thing is to not add into any any um any more um toxicity into that so we don't want to be putting tampons in our vaginas and having those chemicals being absorbed into us and increasing our risk for um other illnesses coming that way um so there are some options uh depending on how old girls are and really what they are comfortable in like they have the cups Mm-hmm. um the menstrual cups like the diva cup um but also sometimes girls young teens are not ready for that especially with girls starting their periods mm-hmm. as young as 8 yeah. these days and so you really i think the best option is to find pads that have the least amount of chemicals in them mm-hmm. because that way it's not going in your body Yeah. It's sitting outside of your body. Um and yeah, they do make some pretty okay ones that aren't bleached and have the um other toxins in them that are going to cause issues. Um so that's where I would start is just making sure that they're comfortable with um just with the daily care of having a period, you know. Mhm. Um making sure that they like I tell my daughter um about beet juice and um berries and stuff like that because that's going to help um regulate um 
if there's excess hormones and stuff in your body, that's going to help that stuff. And then like, just like a little plan, you can do those. And it's like just adding these little things like a glass of warm lemon water, Mm -hmm. a beet juice, some berries, and then focusing on those and knowing like majority of people need a majority of people, majority of women Mm -hmm. need rest during this time and taking the time to honor how your body feels like if you feel like resting then you you probably need to rest for a while um and not thinking like just to go 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 you know yeah and uh, also would you comment and, on the period panties which are getting really popular these days but is loaded with pfas yeah i no <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. They seem kind of um like the idea I guess was good for them, but yeah, they're full of garbage just like the tampons are and a lot of the pads are. Like you can't just walk into your regular grocery store and buy something healthy for something that you need every single month of like most of your life, you know? Yeah. Like it's it's sad that there's not those options. Um, but yeah, definitely I'd say a no to those, like you said. Um, um, and also, um, on these things like only organic berries, please people. And if you don't have fresh beetroot, you can get organic beetroot powder and add it to your smoothies and juices, like so many options. Yes, exactly. There are, and that's the great thing too. And having like way more access to the internet now and different stores being able to order from them because even when I was a kid and got my period there wasn't as many options as there are now today which is really cool that our daughters will have these options and you know more probably coming especially in terms of healthier um menstrual um products Beautiful. That's amazing. But also, okay, now I'll get on to other type of questions which teenagers would go onto the internet to search but just get, you know, sidetracked to other websites which are shady because, you know, the topics are such. So uh, Uh now coming back to, so puberty, menstrual cycle starting, body is starting to change, body composition might also change. And I think this is the time like in teenage, uh, even I did as a teenage to develop body image issues. And I feel that these kind of resurface for women during pregnancy as well, because the body is changing once again. So can you speak on to that a little bit? Yeah, like body image changing. Yeah, because I your body is changing and just like knowing. So how did you go with it? Because, you know, uh, just like being a teenager and just having, you know, your secondary sexual characteristics develop. And if you're not moving a lot or, you know, hormonal changes are going along, eating junk food, so gaining weight and then you get pregnant and then, you know, pregnancies again a lot of changing of the body because I have heard like a lot of uh, young people being like, I'm afraid of pregnancy because my body would change or I would turn fat or I don't know what not. So yeah, that myth. Yeah. And that's awesome because that 
is a big player of nutrition too. Like how your body is going to change is really a lot has to do with what you're feeding your body. And like, if it's a lot of processed, greasy foods, like that's basically sticking onto your body, how it, it, how that is, you know, like it's sticking into your body and it's staying there. And that's not, um, that's not uh, what most people want, you know, but it's also affecting your brain and like trans fatty acids that are in so many processed foods. If you're eating out a lot as a teen, um, those are blocking um, the absorption of healthy omega-3s that you need for your brain function. And when your brain is functioning how it needs to be, you're like feeling better about yourself, you know, like there's no... Um, there's no depression and anxiety when your brain is how yeah. functioning how it needs to be. And so I think everything like could really come down to nutrition and just knowing like, uh, I think too, um, with nutrition with kids, they don't always want to eat healthy because many of their peers are not eating healthy and it could be seen as weird, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, which is really awful that unhealthy food is what is seen as normal and cool, but there's nothing normal and cool about not loving your body Mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Yeah. And yeah, myself, as I was a teen, I got my period. And then soon after that, I became pregnant. And so that was like a huge whirlwind, you know, uh, just a lot. Like my body was never like, it wasn't just my period. It was a whole baby that was grown inside of me and my skin was stretched out and my, not just my stomach, like my whole body, Mm -hmm. um, became stretched out at such a young age, you know? And so having stretch marks all over my body and stuff like that. And, I think something that was important that um, Leanna shared one time was like you loving yourself is not always like loving every aspect of your human body. Like there are certain things like you could um, not like say like, I absolutely love my nose. Like, (laughs) and like, that's okay. That doesn't mean you don't love yourself. And I think that is a really clear distinction that I had never heard of until she said that. And that really, really helped me and helped my inner children um, a lot. That, that, yeah, you can love yourself completely and wholly and know that you are perfectly made in the image of God and still not like something of your body or want to change something of your body you know like if it's um weight issues or things like that like that's okay yeah beautiful thank you for sharing that um Alka I was wondering um so you went through so many 
changes right and there was a lot of this pressure around you to listen to the ob gyan or you know the person who was in this position of perceived authority and it was it is again sort of like a pressure right made be coming from peers or may or an authority figure right so uh, and most people most women are not taught how to have boundaries per se or to just say no or use their voice at all right so right having all this awareness now uh so if a teenager or i think even women personally uh in terms of intimacy so what would you say about having boundaries That's a lot. Um I think I would say Hmm. As you know, like there's so much to that. Like I I wish like if I was talking to myself as a teenager, like as a parent, as my own parent, I would be saying like you can say no to these people like these people are not your boss these people are not god like you like even back then like some part of you always knows like what needs to be said or what needs to be done like there even if it's like the smallest little sliver of like you like there's some spark in there that always knows i feel yeah. and i feel it's like really helpful to go back to situations to where maybe like you don't like the outcome and see like is there something like did i know about this like is, did i know i didn't want to make this choice or did i know that there was something else that i could have said and like um cuz then i always feel like i can find like yeah i did know like there was something that felt off mm-hmm. there was something i wanted to say that would have been using my voice that would have been reclaiming my power um and i feel like i feel everybody has something like that that you can go back and see like or even times where you did say something mhm and like see like recall like how that felt um like with my ob i could with my third pregnancy and i told her i was not doing the glucose test um like that was new for me like I had never set up to her before and then when I would come up to different situations after that I could go back to that situation and recall like see I do have that power within me mm-hmm. I can say no to people I can um ask if there's any other options like it's not always yes or no sometimes there's other options and you can ask for that too mm-hmm. like And so yeah, I think that's really helpful is to just go see like have you had that power to say no before or to ask for something different. And if not, like know that you can do that. Yeah, that's so important. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because uh you know a pattern that I see is that um like women are generally raised to be people pleasers okay <laughs> that's first up and then yeah. uh for example they get into a relationship 
during teenage years, right? And sometimes they're coerced into having a physical relationship and they are like, I don't want to or whatever the thing is. And the partner is like, wait, but you know, I am the boyfriend and this is what we do. And then, you know, it's just the same thing the little girl and then now there are women in marriages i don't know if marital rape is a crime in usa it's not a law here yet but you know there are these situations where their consent is not taken into account as a woman and liana teaches that it's the woman who is the decision maker the leader the one who accepts which sperm she wants to you know <laughs> fertilize and so she is the decision maker um and basically uh let's go back to that teen friend of teen friend and just tell her that okay what are your guidelines looking back in terms of intimacy with partners like for teenagers they they're like peer pressure to get into sex or you know just getting a boyfriend but what is the most important thing for them to know? Um, I think something that's really important to know, and I think a lot of teens can grasp this to some degree. Yeah. You are, like, permanently connecting yourself to this person until you sever that. And I think just seeing that imagery, like, I can clearly see, like, <laughs> like the tentacles, you know, coming from my womb, connecting to whoever, like, I had um, had sex with in my life. And obviously, I have cleared <laughs> that. So hopefully, me not just saying that, it's reforming <laughs> But, I mean, that's, like, the imagery I get, like, these tentacles. And, like, they're crossing every which way because people are just going all over the place you know with sex and it is seen as this thing like I feel like most people either fall into like a religious thing like no I'm gonna wait till marriage mm-hmm. or they're in they're in a crowd that is sex is a thing to do like everybody does it and yeah it's a thing that doesn't have to wait till marriage but it's not something you want to do with misaligned people and feeling that or seeking that yeah seeking that validation and stuff like that from other men and then trying to give them something that you think will make them stay with you for their love yeah and this reminds me you had posted the statistic about how one in three girls have had a history of CSA or childhood sexual abuse and that would be like if in a room of 33 girls it would be like 11 of them would have had this history and those patterns we know from Liana's work that you know those patterns that develop in childhood just stay with us until we clear those yes exactly and yeah and that brings uh, yeah, because that, uh, it's such a awful and yeah. such a sinister dynamic that so many children are put into, and uh, it's, it makes it really hard to 
begin to, and it was really hard for me, and I wasn't um, sexually abused by my father. Um, he did have that energy, though, um, that really awful energy, but I was sex- sexually abused by several people in childhood, uh, family members and stuff, and when you, when I think back, like before I uncovered this, you think back to these people and you see like, oh yeah, I remember like, um, cousin Jason, he would tickle me all the time and it was so fun and he really loved me and stuff like that. And then you come to uncover, like this guy raped me when I was a baby or when I was a child and things like that. And it really plays it's like a mind fuck to uncover those things because then you have like these dark things intermixed with um, pleasure yeah, and things like that. And sometimes it's a, a lot of harmful uh, things. It's not always like a good memory of uncle Bob or anything like that. It's like, Oh yeah, that guy was super mean to me. And then you're that's connected with the pleasure as well, like the abuse and the pleasure. Yeah, because I can speak to that because I think um, it was like it's ticklish and you were laughing, but then you look back and it's like abuse and then you feel this shame, like I was being abused, but I thought I was having fun. And just that understanding of, yeah. you know, how these pleasure centers are like just located and it's not your fault uh-huh. how your body reacted Exactly. 100%. And I feel a lot of shame can just be out of the window because it's never the abused child's fault or the abused person's fault. But as it's like, so many people. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I think you cut out. Sorry. Yeah, no worries. I feel like maybe there could be like a time lag thing happening because we are like different times. And so sometimes that happens. So no worries. So, yeah. So it's like beautiful, interesting because like our audience gets like a mix of two different locations, two different people. Right. So always an interesting (laughs) blend. So. I love that. Yeah. So, okay. So. We covered about sex and the most sex that I have ever seen in schools is one, it's bad, don't do it. Like, And then the religious thing. And the second thing would be if you do it, use a condom or a birth control. (laughs) Right? And Uh now can you please educate us on birth control and how and why it's destructive and all its different forms like the IUDs or the copper or like whatever thing like things women are using which destroys their mental health energy levels and all of it yeah all yeah like you said all of it is just very destructive um to women's bodies and obviously this is like a plan like to destroy uh the feminine and uh it's not only leading to like it's completely blocking your natural divine flow of being a feminine person, uh, a divine woman. And that anytime you do that in any shape or form, that is going to cause a lot of problems in your body, in your life. And, um, just the hormones are completely 
being blocked. Uh, this uh, birth control leads to candida, which over 70% of women, maybe 75%, one of those uh, women have candida. And that's just what's reported. So obviously that is could likely be more than that. Um, and that itself is just wreaking havoc on your body, um, which leads to like a lot of the things that you just mentioned, um, the low energy, the brain fog, um, unneeded weight, uh, that like you're trying to lose weight, but it's not going anywhere. Um, it's just in, uh, skin issues, uh, acne, rashes, um, migraines, there's just so much yeah. that can be connected back to using birth control and then having to come off of birth control and your body is still like confused, you know, it's like what just happened the past, however, five, 10, 15, however many years you've been, been on there and now like trying to get back into balance with that. And I think that's so amazing that there are so many um, HMI coaches that are helping women with this because it's really a big issue in our world that so many women need help with to actually heal their bodies from birth control. Yeah. For our audience, uh, as you have heard in every episode, Liana Shanti is our spiritual guru, life coach, everything she offers. And, uh, tools to heal our whole, whole lives in every area. HMI is Health Mastery Institute. It's world's only plant-based in, uh, coaching institute. And we, like Alika and me, both are like health coaches from there. And so are our peers. And these are issues that we often see in our clients. And um, I'll also link Alika's website and Instagram for you in the details so that you can check all the goodness she shares. Because um, if, like, if you're a woman and like Alika said, 75% of them have candida overgrowth. It starts with, you know, the all the hormone disruptors in the environment ever since you were a baby and then growing up and, you know, the whole shitstorm of toxins. And so you want to really heal from that. And if you're a single woman for your health, if you want to be a mom so that you heal it before, you know, your child is born, before you're pregnant, so that because you don't do any cleanses when you're pregnant and so that you don't pass this on to your baby. So there are a lot of layers here. So... Yeah, continue on, Alika. Yeah, I love that you said that. Um, if you can, like if anybody listening to this right now is not pregnant but would love to become pregnant and you're not breastfeeding right now or anything like that, see if you have the candida symptoms. It's healcandidanow.com, I believe is the website. And just go over the checklist. Like, do you have these symptom symptoms? Because... As Ivani just said, um, if you're not clearing it, it's more than likely being passed on to your baby. Yeah. And then they're going to have these issues. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and then it just keeps going <laughs> and going. Um, but thankfully, kids can heal from candida too, like when they're older, not babies. We're not doing anything like that with babies. Um, but like when they're older, mm -hmm. and hopefully it would be 
easier for the kids because they're not having a lifetime or as long as we are till they're adults of dealing with candida, feeding the candida and all that. So generally it's a lot easier and more way, obviously way better to get it done if your child does have it and just seeing, cause yeah, you can see about the symptoms, see if you, your kids have any of those and then really consider taking the healing that for good and not reintroducing any of the, um, the yeah, fungus things that bring candida to the yeah. body. <laughs> yeah, those foods into the body. It's so true. Uh, okay, yeah. so this was like the physical aspect and we had talked about all the various uh, energetic aspects like the dark tentacles, the abuse and everything for that. Liana has the womb healing ceremony. So if you are a woman, like, I'll link that below. If it aligns for you, do it. It helps you release the energetic debris in your womb because as women, it's our seed of creation. It's our portal to the divine, direct connection. And, you know, we just store everything in the womb and we don't want our babies to have those energetic trauma as well, right? So womb healing ceremony is a go-to for that. And, um, any, you know, any sort of misery you have had, any sexual partners you may, might have had. Um, Alka, now I want to uh, talk about the issue, the baby murder ritual known as abortion that goes on because so many women carry that trauma as well and don't even realize. And it's being pushed right now really heavily. So can you speak of, you know, your journey with it? Because, you know, you you honored the precious life you were gifted with and you had an inner knowing at that time. And yeah, just enlighten everyone about the topic, please. Okay, yeah. Um, this was, I don't know, it was really for myself um, growing up um, in a Christian household, like we didn't ever thought or I was never taught, like, abortion was an option. I knew that people did it and stuff like that. But And then also I think a big part for myself was that inner knowing, like, uh, all life really matters to me. And when I was in high school and uh, middle school, like, we have to do those topics uh, or essays we would do, and they would be like, you can do it on the death penalty or you can do it on these a myriad of things and I would always pick the death penalty because I'm like so many people okay I don't want to go off on that I would just pick the death penalty <laughs> because that'll bring a whole nother topic okay I just have valued life and I was like this is a big thing so and that's another thing that I really um like when I found HMI I think is what really aligned was the value of life like all beings like there has always been something within me that knew that was the way and this applied to babies whether you wanted to be pregnant or not this applied to animals um this applied to people who were in jail like or prison and stuff like the value of life has always been something that has uh, been in my heart and so when I was raped um, and I became pregnant from being raped, 
um, there was like never, not for one second ever, a question in my mind that I would have an abortion. Like, not at all. And for many people, that's the argument. Like, well, what about the women who are raped? Um, well, you know, you don't get to kill a baby because you were raped. And not saying that in a mean way at all, but still, like, just because something that was very dark and very traumatic for somebody to go through does not mean you get to go and harm another life. And so that was a very clear, easy for me, a very clear decision for me to make, um, was to keep my baby. And also for me, that meant I was having absolutely nothing to do with my rapist. He went to jail and I never wanted a penny from him. I never wanted anything from him. And it's been that way this whole time. And it will stay that way um, because I wasn't here for money. I was here for my precious baby in life. And I think that is a powerful story because I know so many, especially if you're young, you think like um, a baby is going to ruin your life. You know, that's another thing that people say, like, I'm not in a place to have a baby or a baby will ruin my life. Like, people really think that. And any of those thoughts that I think women have would instantly be gone once they birthed their baby and held their baby and just looked right into their baby's eyes. Like, anything just melts away after that. Even if it's only for a moment. And then you go back to being <laughs> a, a little bit uh, scatterbrained after that, you just look into your baby's eyes and you're instantly brought back to the present moment, to what matters and what matters is life. Wow. That's so beautiful. It just reminded me the meaning of your name. Protector of mankind. Was it? Yes. <laughs> I know. I did not think of that. And then when I shared that story, mm -hmm. uh, another sister said, I think Amaya said that. She's like, wow, your your name like takes on a whole new meaning or something now like that. And I'm like, whoa, yeah, I can see that now. And it's I, I love that because I feel like everybody who has received their Akashic name, like we all have carried the essence of us with us and seeing that throughout our life up until this point is like really cool like it's just really really awesome yeah beautiful and it's amazing you mentioned amaya because uh, if you are a reader to my substack to your audience you might have seen me read <laughs> me mention about her strength uh, training programs and as a matter of fact she also has an amazing free offering of the FAM method which Alika talked about which teaches you how to you know uh, just check in where you are in your cycle so I'll link that below for you as yes. well amazing resource yes that's so awesome. yes oh, I love that yeah so okay so all the women if you have had taking part in this baby murder ritual or abortion, as you say it. And there's this constant 
attempt to just disconnect the mother and the child to call the baby a embryo inst- or a fetus instead of a baby so if you uh-huh. have been there this story i hope alika story inspires you it's not about shaming anyone that's not the agenda ever it's just feeling into your heart and just being like did i really honor myself and just check into it if not go on to liana's womb healing ceremony ask jesus for guidance and help with forgiveness self forgiveness and i'm sure you would be guided so this was <laughs> this is one very important aspect of the conversation that i'm so glad alika that you could share your story so thank you so much for that and uh, you're welcome yeah uh, now can you please uh, now we have talked about this war on fertility and separating mother from child right so let's uh, circle back to your pregnancy and then the year 2021 where people were getting crazy on those gene mutating <laughs> shorts and endangering their fertility their life their souls everything but also the shedding from it so how did you navigate that period of time when the shedding was crazy and how did you protect your baby your womb and everything yeah of course um thankfully i was a student of liana's when she did her um health call uh and she went over all of this and she clearly said if you are pregnant this is the time to stay in your house like it's not worth the risk because you're not going to know exactly like she of course she um predicted everything that has come true but you don't know how it would specifically affect you it could be any of the things that she predicted and that was not a risk i was going to take um losing my baby was not a risk I was going to take if I could prevent that and that was something I could prevent so I stayed home um I did not go out in public into the stores I did like some things in my neighborhood um but I stayed away and if that was my choice and that would that really served myself and my baby really well and that was a choice that I don't think a lot of people are willing to make because uh social construct constructs and family cult constructs um keeping people like you have to come to this you have to be there don't be silly like um it's just the vaccine <laughs> when we know it's not the science has, sh- has shown now years later that it's not that um the rate of miscarriage went up insanely once these um uh once the covid shots came out and it's just really really hard like i share um uh weekly probably on my instagram and my stories about effects that people have had from this and it just is always so heartbreaking because these the children are innocent and it's the parents that are doing this and that's really hard to like reconcile and i understand that these people don't even know like they really think it's to protect themselves and stuff like that but i think if you are listening to this and there's like any inkling 
that any of this is right, then go with that inkling. Like, protect yourself, protect your baby at all costs. And all costs is probably going to ruffle feathers. And it's probably going to lose you some friends or family members. <laughs> and that's a really good thing. Yeah. Um, I think this is an amazing point to talk about this, about ruffling feathers. So your third birth where you were like, okay, this is what I'm not going to do. This is what I'm going to say yes to. So um, let's talk about this time during pregnancy. There are a lot of things that are put on to mothers to do. And then there is this fear mongering. Like that's the literal thing that's going on that you're supposed to have an ultrasound. So I'm just going to like ask you about a list of things and you can just say a yes or no and why so. So ultrasound during okay. pregnancies... Um, so I'm not going to say a yes or a no. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's a lot of research, um, on ultrasounds, doing more of them during pregnancy is not good. Um, like one, if you want to do, I recommend if a mom wants to do an ultrasound, that it be like one, like don't go crazy on them because what the studies have shown is uh what are the words that I need what it does to the baby like when you if you've ever seen when they do the ultrasound and like the baby moving and they're like oh look the baby's moving it's not always ah because a lot of the time it's because the waves from the thing coming are hurting the baby oh. and we don't want we don't want to do that right Mm -hmm. um so yeah there's a lot um of studies on that um so if like 100 you feel you need that and like my last three i went with zero at all zero ultrasound no doppler to listen to the baby's heartbeat no um 3d any type of 40 ultrasounds none of that um but i know that that is not always the choice that is right for every mom so i just give moms the information the studies and then I tell them what I would recommend like one would be like the most that I would do in a pregnancy if I were to have any and then they can go in you know choose like does this feel like what's best for me and sometimes mom will choose none in a pregnancy and then she'll go to the next pregnancy and have one or vice versa you know and it's like Choose honestly what feels best for you in this pregnancy because you are a different person. This is a different baby. It's different circumstances. And you need to really hone in to what is feeling best with this. And when you have all the facts, that helps a lot too instead of just going with the voices of people around you. So powerful. Education is such a like empowering tool. And, um, okay, next up, pap smears during any time as a woman, like as a woman, do we need pap smears or like any value to those? No, I don't feel they have value, no. And can you speak about being induced? Because as someone who hasn't had the experience of pregnancy at all, just like the thinking about being induced just feels like, why? Like, won't the baby just come out by itself? Like, why is, like, are there certain situations where being induced is important? Or is, like, 
what is this whole situation about inducing a birth? While so yeah, <laughs> I definitely have a lot of feelings about this, <laughs> and obviously the facts are is that it's messing up what's naturally supposed to happen. So that is already starting interventions, which often domino into other unwanted um, come outcomes. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I have always felt like if your baby was in like a dire emergency, why would you put your baby under stress of induction if your baby is already under stress and needs to come out right now? If it was an emergency, it would be a C-section is how I have always felt about it because induction does put baby under stress too. It puts mom under stress too. So you're just creating more stress for a baby that supposedly needs to come out now because they're already not doing well. Yeah. And I feel that's like such an important point, stress and, you know, the hormonal imbalance because if your hormones are already messed up, and then you would be stressed easily and you know so that's why it's important to do the work before and for the moms Alka, who are like in between births like uh, in between pregnancies and they need to replenish their nutrients so is there anything that they can do in between births oh yeah so much like if you're not breastfeeding um, as I mentioned earlier, the candida cleanse 100% if you have candida, which most likely you do. <laughs> That's just like, I haven't really seen anybody that I've worked with that doesn't. So like, that's how prevalent it is. Um, and then also, um, parasite cleansing and, um, because you're, you can't do that during pregnancy. You're not doing that in breastfeeding either. In the world that we live in, oh my, gosh, my cat. Oh, buddy. Hi. He sees the other cats outside. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And, like, you're picking up parasites, everybody. It's just a human thing. You're picking up parasites on toilets. Oh, you're picking up parasites walking on the beach barefoot. Like, if you have pets, you're getting parasites from them, too. Like, it's... It's just a thing, and you need to take care of that yes. um, because parasites can cause so many issues, um, even a lot similar to candida, too. Like, they can cause weight issues. Um, they can cause migraines. Um, they can cause skin issues, and people would not think parasites for skin issues a lot of the time. Um, they're taking your nutrients away, so you could be trying to like eat healthier, taking some supplements and stuff. But if you have parasites, they're going for those. Like, um, and they're tricky too because they'll like, um, if you are doing like, I don't even know what's out there because I really only follow, <laughs> yeah. I only follow HMI cleanses, but I don't know. There's gotta be some random, oh, do this parasite cleanse and stuff like that. And they're not working. And these parasites are not stupid. They will hide and they'll know like what you're trying to do. And then it's going to be harder to get them out. Yeah. So doing it right is going to be um, the way to go <laughs> with an HMI parasite cleanse. 100%. And then also, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then juice cleansing too, <laughs> because juice cleansing 
you are, oh my gosh, I have not, myself personally, have not even done a full on juice cleanse because I've been pregnant or breastfeeding um, a decade or over a decade now. So after I have my, or after I'm done breastfeeding my last baby now, I'm going to be on all of these things too, um, in due time, not all at once. Definitely don't want to do that, <laughs> but all on their own and a juice fast. I just can't wait to do that because I know how juice makes me feel the day to day and like, it's just floods your body with everything everything light, everything nutrient dense, and your body doesn't have to digest it. It's going right to where it needs to be to support you. And just think of that happening for all of your meals for like a whole week. If you did a seven day juice fast, like that's just amazing. And your body is going to feel amazing for that. And that's going to help too. Like if you are a mom that is dealing with like, um, like food cravings or stuff like that, um, even a juice cleanse can help you with that because you're not eating the food, you're not giving your brain those dopamine hits of the trans fatty acids and stuff like that. You're just going to be flooding your body with so many nutrients yeah. and your body's going to love it what? and you're going to love how you feel. Mm-hmm. Yes. So definitely like the HMI cleanses, if you're not pregnant or breastfeeding, 100% recommend those. Yeah, and guys, if that doesn't convince you about to go on to a parasite cleanse, just like go back to episode 10 with Kathleen, where she goes into how parasites are actually dark demonic and energies. So I think that would add to this more. And yes, please, juice cleanses are amazing. But please go for something like an HMI one or from like a health coach that you can trust because there are people out there who just literally like they're not drinking enough juice or they would give you the wrong only drinking celery juice and just all those sort of things so for the love of yourself just like go to someone you can trust like it's I think it's not even one of those things to just say like hey I'm a HMI coach and I only trust this education because everything out there is bullshit like it's just that simple yes exactly because it is people just they see things that like, oh, juice cleanses are hot right now. Let me throw this together and put it out there and make a bunch of money. Yeah. And it's harmful. And people that tell like pregnant moms, like I see things for pregnant moms. I'm like, no, this is harmful. You do not want to be opening up these detox pathways and clearing them out when you're pregnant or when you're breastfeeding because it's going to go to your baby. Yeah. The other day I saw this, uh, get this juice fast pack. Uh, with activated charcoal to help you cleanse better and I'm like oh my god are like are you insane why are you trying to kill people oh right exactly and yeah I think I'm I'm have just been curious too with like the cleaning thing um expanding if there's gonna be more garbage like that because people want to latch on to this expansion mm-hmm. and yeah it's I don't know how that would be but definitely hmi is expanding there's more and more health coaches which is amazing so we all have a lot of amazing a lot of education and more i think to come which i'm excited for yes 100 percent. so excited now alika i 
also had one very important component to ask you about about conscious partnering because as a woman like if you are a mom right you uh, and what i have seen generally is like over here that if someone is pregnant they just like get to the hospital the husband is maybe just there not over there to support the child or the wife as such and you know the popular whole programming of you know just keep on pushing and you know pushing on your back which is terrible but that's for hospitals too and just the whole view of pregnancy is something as like which is seen as painful and really brutal but what you shared uh-huh. today was pregnancy is a sacred experience and i know that having a partner that's conscious that you can truly connect with makes a lot of difference so can you just share about that like what should one be mindful of or what has your experience been about it yeah um i think just being mindful uh um I am thinking of something that Liana shared, but I know I'm not going to say it word for word, but this is where I'm getting it from. <laughs> so I want to butcher her thing in. But she's like, is the person that you're with also expanding? You know, like, are they open? Like, because if you know, if you're on a conscious path to yourself, um, you're awakening and you have this desire to serve God and to serve Jesus, um, does your partner also have that and the things that align with that? Like um, eating plant-based, you know, um, that is what is in alignment with Jesus because Jesus did not eat animals. No matter how many times people try to say that, he didn't. And so it's like, is your partner open to something like that? Is that, or is that like completely off the table? Because then that wouldn't be conscious, you know? And things like that, like just taking that look at all the things that feel in alignment with you, how is that feeling with your partner too? Like, are you guys growing in the same direction together? Which doesn't mean like you'll disagree, or you guys are going to do it all at the exact same time. Because I became vegan, uh, um, I can't even, I don't even know how long before my husband did, okay. but he, he was trying to, like he was mm-hmm. on the path to do that and he was open to it. He never had like anything negative to say about me doing it. He was always like, yeah, like you want to do that. And he, <laughs> it's funny because he actually cooks a lot more than I cook, which in his family, people, his mom, his grandma did not like that at all that he would cook a lot of the meals and I wouldn't. (laughs) So he would like make me things and I was never like having to make him something like a meat dish and him make me something or make myself something too. Like he did a lot of the cooking and he was always supportive of what I was doing. So I think that's another big aspect is support. And I think you even have to take it even further than that. And is that actual support, you know, and I don't know if I have a very clear way to convey that. Um, I guess with, uh, it doesn't have anything to do with a partner. It has more to do with, um, my relationship with my mom 
And she, when I was pregnant with my last pregnancy, I ended up cutting ties with her soon after that, after he was born, like within a month after that, because it no longer felt authentic. Mm-hmm. And I really did not want to do that and things like that. But throughout my pregnancy, I would have her message me and say like, or ask how I was doing and things like that. But it didn't feel, I think you get to a point where you can tell if something is real. Like, is it real support? And because I would have people from, that I know that I've built relationships with online through Leanna's community and they would message me and I would feel the support completely. Like it had a completely different energy to it. So it's not always just saying somebody like saying they support you is it's like the feeling, do you feel their support to you or is it not there? I think that's what it maybe I'm trying to say. Is it the feeling that comes with it and you and like, you always know, like, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> yeah. if your partner is just saying something or if they're actually meaning it or if they're just saying something to keep you on the line and keep you from going anywhere. Yeah. So a lot of what I'm hearing is a look at the actions and the energy. And if you can't trust yourself yet, detox your body so that you can finally trust yourself to trust what you already knew in the first place. Yeah, exactly. And yes. Thank wh- you. Yeah. And while we are on this topic, ladies, uh, I think a good barometer is if it's a waxed or an unwaxed man. And then you can just like decide because, yes, like that's a very good, <laughs> I think, barometer for the single ladies out there or. Oh, yeah. It's definitely got to start there now in these days. (laughs) 100%. Like, yes. Um, Wow. Like, I'm just like in awe of your beautiful journey. Like, it started when you were 15 and then just like kept growing to where you are now. And you have these beautiful family and all the beautiful work that you're doing now. Um. Alika, can you tell me about this process about, uh, because, okay, so in India, the thing is, when a baby is born, every freaking person comes to visit you. (laughs) Okay, it's not like, yeah, and then there are some weird things that there are some weird rituals in some families, different cultures that the uh, the woman needs to like lick some honey or, you know, have this mud from this, their ancestral place because that's, that's the guy's family's, you know, thing and ritual. And so that's like one aspect of it where there's like a lot of a violation of privacy and in a hospital setting most often and even if at home it's just like people coming oh can I hold the baby oh and just like when you are in a very vulnerable state and I have heard through your experience that being at home with the people you love and your first pregnancy was at the hospital and the whole conventional way so can you just speak on it like okay you have given birth and there are very weird procedures that are done to kids I think we can just cover that aspect after this conversation and 
okay now how do you set boundaries for your idle birth space because women feel this uh, like you know pressure like oh this is the family's first grandchild so i need to show his face to them or you know there's this kind of bullshit thing that goes on <laughs> so just like sharing your experience on setting boundaries yeah i think the most important thing to understand and remember is the only thing your baby needs is you your baby doesn't need grandma holding them or uncles or aunts or anything your baby needs you and that's it after birth that is what is going to create a healthy strong bond and interrupting that will like it just causes a lot of issues and things maybe you won't even think of till like years to come. Um, so that's, I love talking about this during pregnancy with moms mm-hmm. because they often like, that's like you said, that's like the tradition. Like everybody comes to see the baby after. So if you, if I bring this up during pregnancy and then it gets moms thinking, you know, like, is that really what I want? Like, and especially now um, with the vac- uh, the COVID vaccine, um, definitely, you don't want anybody coming over like that, um, even if it's been a while since they've had it. Um, you don't want them kissing your baby. You don't want anybody doing that. And that's so important to protect your baby, protect your home, and protect your baby in your space. Um, because nobody has the privilege nobody has the right to see your baby but you and I think that is something that people don't feel that they have the right to say no that other people are expected to see the baby and that is so backwards if anybody is really going to support you they will be coming to support you and not trying to take your baby out of your hands wow oh my god that just gave me chills. Like anyone who supports you won't take your baby out of your hands. Like, wow. And then you look at the hospital treatments. The first thing they want to do is take the baby away from you. Right, exactly. And that creates the disconnect between mother and child. And that's like, it's just everywhere. Like you see that disconnect where they're trying to disconnect that everywhere. And I'm like, no, like, we're not doing that. (laughs) Obviously, each person I work with can choose, but I'm always going to bring that up, like, because that is the plan. Like, that is, there's nothing that is as strong as a mother-baby connection. And And obviously, evil knows that. Of course. And people, if, if you think that, you know, it's no big deal, try healing your root chakra. Like, it, forms in the first 18 months and if that attachment is disrupted healing that is a lot okay so if you want to like give your baby the gift of attachment and true unconditional love because if you don't give that that sets them a life for anxiety for feeling like they can't trust the world and it takes a lot yeah. to unlearn and heal from that. So, yes, don't take it for granted. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because when I was pregnant with my last baby, um, I had asked Liana, like, is there anything that you see that would be beneficial 
I was thinking more along the lines of like something we as a family could do to bond. I was like, is there anything beneficial that would be best to do right now before I give birth? And she told, she told me connect with your infant self. And at first I was like, huh, okay. Like that's not what I was expecting, but obviously I was like, okay, I'm doing that. (laughs) And I did. And my whole, not even kidding, my whole postpartum was the complete opposite of all my others before. It was, I love to say the word blissful because it felt like that. It felt like so many moms after birth, just because of how your hormones are, um, even, well, sometimes, but a lot of times how your hormones are after birth, you feel like this birth high, like, oh my gosh, I just did this. Like I completed this mission and you just feel like euphoric, but often that goes away very quickly after birth. And I just feel like after I had my last baby, that didn't go away. Like with my previous birth, I had resentment that would come up when I'd be up late at night with my baby. And I, of course, I'm like, then I would feel shame for feeling that way. And I'm like, why is this? Like, why am I not? It wasn't just not because I was tired. Like that activates it. The tiredness activates it and stuff. But when you realize that you have to give your baby every single thing they need 24-7 as a newborn, um, that activates within you what you didn't get. And I didn't understand that for a while. So Leanna telling me connect with your infant self before your baby comes completely changed everything for me. I never felt resentment. I enjoyed even though I was super tired a lot of the time, I just enjoyed everything. Like everything felt like I was still on that birth high and it never went away. Like, and now I see like that was completely love. Like that's what I gave my inner child while I was still pregnant. And so therefore I was able to give that to my newborn baby. And without that healing before, that wouldn't have been possible. That resentment and that anger and stuff would have still been there. On for being projected onto my newborn baby if I didn't connect with my inner self Aww. as a newborn. That's so precious. Like, I'm so happy for your infant self and also your baby. <laughs> and just yes, everything. Right? So beautiful. Okay, so now postpartum, we have discussed that attachment parenting is vital and for all these various beautiful, blissful reasons. But um, can you speak of the various forms of abuse that happens after the baby is taken away in most cases? Like one kept away, so we covered that. Then what were these weird creams that were being applied? Like I have never heard of about them before, but why? Okay, yeah. Um, erythromycin is an eye cream that they give babies, um, to prevent infection. Mm-hmm. So they rub it all over the baby's eyes. And in some places I have, I was told that I couldn't not get that for my baby. Um, which was weird because I think that was just a fear tactic because I did not have that for my third birth, even though they had told me before birth that I wasn't able to decline that. And I did decline that. He didn't get it. Um, and then they have the Hep B shot, um, which is a vaccine that they give. 
which weirdly is for people that have like sexually transmitted diseases and stuff like that. So obviously, um, I don't know any babies that do or need that. So that's just very unnecessary to do to a child and cause that pain to them. Um, And then what is the other? There's one more vaccine. And I am drawing a complete blank on it right now. No worries. But Um, all vaccines, no matter. Yeah. Yeah, all of them are garbage. They're not promoting the health of your baby at all. Yeah. And Um, they also like. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Yeah, just a second. They uh, vaccines are loaded with heavy metals, and humans don't need any amount of heavy metals. We are organic beings. We don't need to consume metals in any way. And the increase in vaccine schedule has been totally linked with the increase in the number of autism cases. And yeah, so just be mindful for all the people out there. And yeah, go on, Alika. You were saying. Oh, I'm glad you took the time because now I remember the vitamin K shot is another one that they give babies. Um, But it's also the same dose that they would give a grown adult. And they're giving these to newborn babies, which is crazy. So moms really need to focus on it's the it's the K2 part of the vitamin K Mm because you have K1 and then K2. K1 is still very necessary. Um, for your blood and for your bone health. Um, but you need that you can get from like dark leafy greens. But K2, every mom needs to be supplementing with that because that is going to ensure like regularly supplementing with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you want it's vitamin K2 and you want the MK7 kind because there's different forms of it. Um But this, if you take that regularly throughout um, your pregnancy, especially the end, your baby will have the vitamin K that they need. And no shot is necessary. Even if you don't take that, no shot is necessary. You can get um, vitamin K little droplets that you would put into your baby's mouth. So they're not also getting this extreme dose of vitamin K through the shot. And they're also not going to be getting any of the toxins that are in there, like aluminum. Um, so yeah, I'm glad you took the time to say that so I could remember that. <laughs> and, uh, um, and then, yeah, and the K7 ahead. is great for teeth health, right? Because most pregnant women then have like eroding teeth and they're like, what the fuck, uh, what the fuck went wrong? I was eating healthy, but that was like a MK7 deficiency, right? Yes, yes, okay. definitely. Hmm. And yeah, and that's going to help not only your baby's blood um because that's why they give the k the vitamin k shot is to help with the blood and bleeding out they gave me like this whole spiel um my last hospital birth like you know it's not just right now that your baby may have an issue it could be six six months from now his brain might just start bleeding and he could die oh my god eyes blue yeah (laughs) That's what, that's what they tell you. They like they'll they'll try and tell you like anything to really get you in fear. And I that's something that Leanna talks about again. Like fear, you cannot be in that fear frequency because in that fear frequency, you are not making the choices that you need to make for your baby. 
and they will try hard if you're having a hospital birth they will definitely try hard to get you into that fear frequency because then you're easier to go along with what they want um and then after birth too they also take babies away to do the bath which your baby doesn't need a bath your baby was just born your baby is not dirty at all um, your baby may look a little different than how you usually see a newborn baby on TV or something, but it's okay. All of that stuff that is on them, the vernix and stuff that is on them is good, and it's going to help prevent infection, mm-hmm. which is the weird thing that they try to take it off oh. when it's actually very protective. Wow. So... Yeah. And can you please talk about placenta, like the body grows a whole new organ to support the baby. And they also try to take away the placenta or sometimes, I don't know, I have seen people do weird things with it, like try to eat it or I don't know what. And I just really want to know, yeah, yeah, what's your take, like the educated HMI take on it? Yeah, the placenta is freaking incredible like that I I can see a picture and then my mind is just blown of a placenta like bodies like women's bodies are so magnificent we just grow a whole organ that is there to help us grow a whole human like how much more um divinely made could there be something I don't think anything else can be more more great than that um but yeah um a lot of people it became a trend uh, probably like 10-ish years ago is when I really started to hear about it more was for moms to eat the eat the placentas or not to just eat them, but sometimes cut them up and I don't know the whole process, but get them into pills so you could take them through pills. But eating your placenta is cannibalism is what it is. And I definitely do not recommend that. I feel it's a very um, special organ that you can honor, Mm -hmm. that you don't have to eat it to honor it at all, but you can, um, (laughs) you can, um, you can plant it, um, and like put a really pretty tree, like a birth flower tree or plant over it or something. You can honor it that way. Um, there's a few things you could do. I mean, you could, If you didn't want it, you could dispose of it um, through the hospital. But a lot of the times they do, um, they keep them to do testing and other things with them. Mm -hmm. And so you can, and then I see people that make like art prints of their placenta with just the blood that's already on them. And then putting it on the canvas just to honor it that way and always having that, Mm -hmm. um, that memory of it like wherever you decide to put that and that's really special too but yeah definitely do not recommend eating your placenta in any form capsule or raw or baked in a spaghetti thing anything oh my god wow like the (laughs) culture like when you said you don't eat it uh, you know you honor it and then I was thinking about animals how people are like oh I love animals and then eat them it's just like the same thing but now they're doing it to themselves (laughs) Yes. Okay. Yeah. 
and uh, what happens you know uh, about cutting the cord and then i think there are some hospitals which are like hey do you want to keep this and you know for like future i don't know keep it in a lab and uh, it can help them with you know if they have any diseases in the future for the um umbilical cord and we'll protect it and preserve it so yeah just like both these things the clamping and then its preservation whatever the thing that yeah, is yeah you, def- mm-hmm. you definitely want to not cut the cord as soon as your baby is born unless there's like some very dire emergency but even then if your baby um like could be worked on on you not of course if it's something huge that like you're dying or something of course you're not going to be trying to say no leave the cord but um there's like thing you want the cord to stay on even if your placenta takes a while longer it's not um your placenta doesn't just magically come out right after birth they like to pull it out and that's not okay but it will come out often within like for myself it was within 10 minutes of birth but sometimes it can take more like an hour and that just depends like position your bladder other things how your uterus is contracting your hormones and things like that there's a lot of things at play but I know for my hospital birth my first two they cut it right away my third one I wanted them to wait and do delayed cord clamping because your baby needs all the blood that's in the cord and your placenta. That's your baby's blood. It's not It's not to be taken away from your baby. It's theirs. And the doctor told me that she, she made up some excuse that doesn't even make sense. She's like, yeah, it's getting dangerous because all the blood is going back into you and that could cause a problem. And she cuts the cord. I'm like, okay. So that's how that one went for mine. Even though I was able to keep my placenta, the cord cutting, she waited like two minutes and then cut it. So my placenta was still inside of me before she even cut the cord. Hmm. Or before she, or my placenta was still in me when she cut the cord, not before. Um, so, but yeah, you don't want to be doing that because that's your baby's blood. They need all of that within them. Mm -hmm. um to start off healthy like why would we try to start off our babies deficient that's that's just insane yeah um so definitely if you're in a hospital setting or even even some midwives still um definitely ask for delayed cord clamping um and you and I don't feel delayed is two minutes either You want to wait until the cord is completely white and it goes like limp. You don't see the blood coursing through it anymore. It just looks white, like a little dangly rope. (laughs) There's no more juiciness to it anymore. So you you can definitely tell when it's ready and stuff like that. It's easy. Um, And then... And then... yeah and then they're like we can keep this secure like I don't know there was when my brother was born there was this whole scheme like you know we can keep it for I don't know how many how much money and then if he has any illness it can help him so yeah yeah definitely I would not do that at all like I don't feel 
Yeah. Those people are doing those things for protective reasons. Yes. I think there are nefarious reasons for those. Okay. Thank you for that. And uh, can you now share about circumcision? And wait, yeah. like circumcision, um, I feel like it's not a thing where I am. Maybe for like certain religious groups it could be. But like the insane percentage and numbers I see in like USA itself. Like, okay, why it's there? Why that genital mutilation is there? But why do hospitals do it? Like religious, okay, I get it because... religious fanatics but hospitals yeah that's first of all i'm really really happy to hear that it's not a thing by you because it's just horrific what is being done to baby boys and it's for profit it's a lot of the things um go into like face creams and like the foreskin that is being cut off goes into face creams but also um It is creating, or it's sexual abuse to babies is what it is. A lot of, or the t- when they do circumcision, they have to um, get the baby erect, which of course is not okay at all. And then they, the baby is held down, usually in like some type of board constraint thing, and their arms are um, velcro down, uh, their legs are velcro down. Then they erect the baby. And then they get to cutting off his foreskin. And I have seen different, they have different um, methods to doing this, like different uh, devices that they use to do this. Some people feel like one is best. It's not as hurtful as the other one. So they feel okay with that. But it's sexual abuse to these little boys. And it creates... a very distrust in the mother from these little boys, um, mm-hmm. which is really sad. And also I feel a lot of moms think that it's the dad's decision to decide to have their baby's penis cut or not. And that could be nothing more than the truth because if a majority of the time, if the dad is circumcised, he's going to choose that because of some nasty thing that people say so they can look alike, which I don't think that's a thing in a normal, healthy house, caring yeah. that your genitals look alike. So yeah. that is not, that is not at all a father's decision to make. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, okay, so this insanity takes place and then the root chakra damage we talked about and it also like in brain scans shows that, you know, it uh, inhibits the brain development and the full, you know, expression of pleasure and different skill sets in children, like when they're circumcised, right? In babies. So, yeah. a lot there. Um, wow, it's just like, Uh, there's just like full-blown I think attempts at you know just harming babies like I was just thinking about you know those baby chickens who are born and their beaks are cut off right after they're born it's just like the same thing with circumcised ba- boys yeah but then yeah but I think as humans as with the voice 
we can change that and be like, no, not doing this, not for this bullshit. We are going to protect our babies. Right, exactly. And yeah, that's what it comes down to is protecting your children. Like children are innocent and they need the mother's protection. And that's why I feel prenatal health is so important. Mm-hmm. And I was at an event yesterday and some lady told me, she's like, you know, you, there's not really anybody that does this, what I was doing, like prenatal health coaching. She's like, I do postpartum stuff, and I know people that do postpartum stuff, but there's really nobody that's doing prenatal things besides, like, exercise and stuff like that. And I'm like, I know, like, exactly. Like, we wait, we go pregnancy just, like, la-di-da, and then we get to postpartum, and our hormones are crazy, because we have not been taking care of them throughout pregnancy, our mental state is probably unstable. Our emotions are unstable. You have this new baby. If you haven't done any inner healing, like you feel this resentment, you feel like you don't have what it takes to protect this baby. And then you're presented all of these options after birth to circumcise, to vaccinate, um, to cut the cord, to take the baby away, to have family over, all of these things that we've talked about. And these moms are not in the protective state of their mind and their body that they need to be to make the decisions that are needed. Mm -hmm. And that's why I really am passionate about working with moms during pregnancy. Because while you're not cleansing your body or like doing a detox or anything, there's still so much that you can be done. And just having somebody like myself, bring up a topic or something that maybe you weren't thinking of, like that's going to set off more things that will open up for you, that you you can take action on. Yeah, 100%. Like I find personally your work really inspiring. And I, like as like an educational tool, I'm like, okay, yes, this, this. Like as an education for myself, not just beyond the nutritional thing, but also your lived experience that comes with it. And yeah, it's helpful for any, I think, woman. And I and also when we talked about support, right? Um, even if like someone doesn't want to choose motherhood as a path, I think just knowing these things, the sacredness of life and just being there to support the people we love is also important. So um, let's talk about postpartum now because like there is postpartum depression which I think could be linked to all the things you mentioned the depression the uh, I think one aspect we haven't talked about is the loneliness or the lack of support Uh, but yeah so what did you need during postpartum and what do most women lack during postpartum yeah um for myself Um, I think that varied from postpartum to postpartum because I had, in some of my earlier pregnancies, I would have people, uh, family members come stay at my house with me, you know, and help take care of things around the house and just help and be there to support, you know. Mm -hmm. And then after my sixth baby, I didn't have anybody come to our house because I was not having that at all Mm -hmm. um I just wanted it to be us like we already have I already have where we were a family of eight now like that's enough energy for this new baby (laughs) to get used to like 
<laughs> we didn't need anything else, anybody else there. But also, I didn't want anybody else there. And I honestly felt the most supported during that time, mm-hmm. during that uh, postpartum, because it was exactly how I planned it to be. Like, I I set it up exactly like I created our home, exactly how I wanted it to feel, um, and everything like that. Like, I didn't have people there that were there to seem helpful, but their energy threw things off. Mm-hmm. But I do feel moms do need more support. I just feel they need aligned support and having um, the will to find that and what that means for them is really going to be helpful because it's not always going to be the same person or it's not always going to be the same. And especially pregnancy to pregnancy, I don't think it will always be the same either. But I feel some of the most important things is like if you could have somebody clean in your house so they're not necessarily there for you or for your baby like to be interacting with you but they're there to tidy up your house you know mm-hmm. um somebody to bring meals to you mm-hmm. not there for you or your baby but they're there to nourish you in that way mm-hmm. like how you have to find what is going to work for you and create a space that you want and inviting in the energy that you want into your space Because it's not always the things. A lot of the time, it's the people that bring the energy. And if that is compatible with the space that you're creating. Yeah. I'm reflecting about like postpartums over here where like there is some elderly woman who comes and lives at least for like 40, first 40 days with you, takes care of the family, the like the mom, the baby, anything they need, course, food and everything. So, yeah, a uh-huh. lot of support over there needed, of course. Um, so now is there anything like, okay, so if a mom gives birth and she has this inner child wounding to be done and this hormonal imbalances and also maybe loneliness and not aligned support and they have postpartum depression. So is there anything that they can do to support themselves through it? Yeah, definitely. Um, And that is what I love working with or working on too. And and that comes back to nutrition and supplements will really play a big part in this because after pregnancy, if you had like no nutritional guidance through pregnancy, Mm -hmm. you are coming out of pregnancy very, very depleted. And supplements are going to help you tremendously to rebuild some of that. Obviously, your food is going to help a lot because if you're just eating crap still and taking the supplements, they're not going to do as much as they could if you're eating for your health and eating for your your mental clarity and for your energy and stuff like that. So, yeah, definitely uh, nutrition is going to be huge. And um, some of the best uh, supplements... Um, are going to be the B vitamins. B vitamins are, mm-hmm. uh, I love those things. <laughs> I can tell when I have them or like if I run out for a couple of days and then I don't have them, I'm like, oh yeah, that's because I don't have my B, my B vitamins. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes I can just tell like they help with so many things in your body. They're going to help the food that you're eating be able to convert to energy. They're going to help your mental clarity. Um, they're just all over 
they all work, most of them all work together. And then they work with a lot of the other nutrients that are really great too, like magnesium. Um, everybody needs to be taking magnesium and postpartum. Even for myself, I went through pregnancy, um, really well nourished and on my supplements and on my eating and juicing. And I was really committed to that throughout pregnancy and even postpartum. I'm like, I know how important magnesium is. So I got a couple different forms of magnesium. I got magnesium glycinite, which is more for like your brain and stuff like that. And then I also did the natural calm, uh, which is what magnesium citrate, I believe. And I was religious with those. I was not going to miss out on my supplements because you, no matter how amazing your birth is, your body still has to recover from birth. Yes. And you want all of your nutrients on point so they can go get to work and get you feeling better and healing the way you need to be healing. And then uh, the omega-3s, those are going to, do amazing for your brain always uh, a supplement for that I always recommend um like the DHA and stuff like that um from plant sources of course um and then uh what was I gonna say oh vitamin D depending if you're having a baby uh Like my last baby I had in June. So it was really sunny out and I made sure to still get sun. We'd go outside in the early mornings and stuff and we'd get sun. But Mm -hmm. I also chose to supplement with vitamin D too because it's just so so critical to your mental health and well-being. Wait, D3, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Okay, so people, if you're listening to this, B vitamins are water soluble, so your body doesn't store it. So you have to take them daily. And I know that Alika has these specialized trimester guide available. And they are amazing with, you know, with all the nutrition and the vitamins you need. And if you need like a private consult or like whole support during your pregnancy, Alika is your, I think, lady for that or like the, I don't know, this divine feminine figure for that who would be there to guide and support you. Yes, I would love to help any of you guys because I just know what it feels like to not, to not have a pregnancy where you feel excited, you know? Yeah. And then to have a pregnancy where you feel like on top of the world and working out every day because you have the energy, you know, it's going to support your mental health. Like, and then like in pregnancies, I'd be like, yeah, I know I need to work out, but it wasn't there. Like I wasn't, I was never motivated to do it. Um, So I was never getting even one little dopamine hit from that to want to keep doing it. I just couldn't, it was like some days it was just, I couldn't get off the couch it felt like and then to not not be there and like pregnancy is going to change your life birth is going to move you to places where you had no idea you could go and to be in a body that feels light and clear and amazing to move through these transitions like that is just a gift that I wish I could have given myself for all of my pregnancies wow um 
Alika, do you feel like you would like did you have to work through self-forgiveness in this process of the like you know the birthing experience your first born had and your like you know most recent baby had so how did you work through that yeah definitely um and yeah because they're so different like I had no idea the things that I know now or even that I knew like for my third birth going into that birth I had no idea about those things for my first and second birth so I feel like I feel sometimes I feel it's easier to forgive myself if I actually know I didn't know these things you know like intellectually know them consciously know these things Mm -hmm. than it is to like know it and not act on it you know Mm -hmm. so it was relatively easy I, sh- I don't know if easy is the right way because there was tons of emotions that I had to work through and cry through and be angry about and then take responsibility for these things because I was the parent during these things. Like I couldn't blame anybody else. I had to be responsible for all of the choices that I made. And so, yeah, that's that's not easy, I guess, to put it. But I mean, it wasn't like I didn't get stuck up on it, you know. I Mm -hmm. felt it as it came up, like something, it's not always easy if I feel like shame about things or guilty about things. Um, That's not always easy to work through. But this, I, I feel like I worked through it relatively well, Mm -hmm. (laughs) if that's a thing, Um, or with ease, I guess I could say. Um, It didn't feel hard. Okay, wow. So anyone listening, if you're holding on to any grudges for towards your own self for not knowing better or for not being empowered enough to do the thing you know you were supposed to do or wanted to do, like hopefully you can forgive yourself and if you need, seek forgiveness from your children. And yeah, like when you know better, do better. I think Maya Angelou said that and... Yes, here's to just being more empowered and sovereign people. And um, I'm so grateful, Alaka, that you took the time to be here with us today. Because you know what? What was like so fascinating to me about you is um, when I was young, I saw this movie about how Gautam Buddha was born. Okay. And there was this like animated thing. And uh, there was the scene of how he was born. Like, you know, his mother was outside near a tree and she could feel him coming. And they were like, you know, all these chunnis or whatever around by, you know, the people around her or uh, the people, I don't know taking care of the queen and then she had like this blissful birth experience and that was my that's what I thought okay that maybe you know giving birth and pregnancy would be like but then I grew up and saw you know all this drama of like you know that it's hard it's difficult or you know this messaging about you know it just being something not sacred as something uh-huh. like a burden placed only on women to do, not being, you know, treated as the sacred act, magical thing it is. And then I read your stories, especially like, you know, the last ones you had. And they had that magic. They had that, you know, feeling of 
the feeling I felt as a child when I saw that animation series. And I was like, yeah, this is the kind of birth I would like to have. But I didn't know it existed until I read your stories. Wow. That is so neat that you saw that as a little kid and you remember that. I love that. And yeah, like that's totally possible. And that's, I don't know, I just really like that you love that you saw that. And it was like showing you like this is possible, even though you growing up, you saw so many other things that were saying the complete opposite. Yeah. So I hope any woman or girl you know listening to this or if like you're listening with your daughter younger daughter anyone just like I hope you can do better for yourself even if it's like as simple as switching out your toxic ridden tampons for something you know non-toxic unbleached and organic and or just like doing the womb healing ceremony or maybe getting inspired to do a parasite lens like or just you know maybe working with Alika or and you know honoring yourself honoring your need for being supported like you don't have to do it all by yourself get aligned support that's available for you and embrace the sacredness of being a woman yes absolutely being a woman is like the most amazing thing (laughs) obviously I've never been a man but the power that women hold in that women like don't even know like I'm still um uncovering and I don't even know like probably half of what I really am capable of and it's already like blowing my mind just from when I started um on this journey of what uh I don't know the food journey in 2012 but the actual spiritual healing journey, maybe 2017, around then. And it's still every day. I'm just like so grateful to be here, to be a woman, to be able to give birth and to have given birth and to be able to show moms that they can have the birth that they want to. Yes, absolutely. Like, you know, just being this creative powerhouse. And okay, one last thing I really want to ask you is the 3D or the matrix structure is like a motherhood depletes a woman. But I believe and through your experience that it ignites the limitless creativity that already exists within. So if you were to, you know, end our show with a message to all women just you know about this gift that we have and you know this path about being a woman and embodying our full potential even when we are learning what it is so the floor is yours yeah I think what you just said embodying that's that's it because for my first pregnancy it just felt like pregnancy was some something that was happening to me. Like I wasn't embodying who I am, what I was capable of, or any of that. It was just something that happened to me. <laughs> and that's how I went through it. And I had the experiences that um, equal that, like that go with that. And so as you embody more of your ability to be a woman that brings life to this earth. Um, 
and you support yourself because you have to support your body because we have human bodies and they have to be supported as best as you can um, for so much more to open up for you and for you to really understand what you are capable of. Like the body has to be supported. And I think that's like a key, key thing uh, that so many moms leave out. Um, I see a lot of stuff from, I don't even know what just things that pop up on social media and stuff and it's talking about their empowered pregnancy and their sacred pregnancy but they're not talking about nutrition and you can't have an empowered pregnancy you can't have a sacred pregnancy if you're filling your body with death if you're filling it with dairy which is rape culture it's just not possible they don't go together it's not like um so I think that's super important and that so many people leave out is the nutrition. Mm-hmm. And that is really a big pathway to living um, or to having an empowered pregnancy and an empowered birth and being an empowered woman, raising empowered kids. Like it all goes together. Yeah, like if you're raising empowered kids, there won't be confused teenagers looking for support elsewhere. They would be setting those healthy boundaries. They would be knowing what they want. And wherever you are on your path, even if you're birthing a business right now or a creative project or your dream life or an actual baby, uh, I hope you're nourishing yourself and have all the tools at your disposal to continue doing that. Wow. And like just like that, we are at 2 hour and 20 minutes. Wow. Oh, my God. (laughs) That was great. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, Alika, for being here. And thank you so much, everyone, for being an amazing audience. And hope you enjoyed this episode of the Divine Flow Pod. I would be linking all the details in the description. So check Alika's workout and everything else we discussed. And talk to you all soon. (laughs) 